This is PhotoBizX, episode number 474, and today we are covering the wealth of connection and how to approach real-life relationships to make your business more personal and more successful as a result. Our special guest is returning guest Vincent Puglisi, and that interview is coming up in just a minute. Are you planning to have a successful wedding and portrait photography business? Join Andrew as he interviews successful photographers and business experts to fast track your success. Welcome to the Photo Biz Exposed podcast with your host, Andrew Helmich. Hey, it's Andrew Helmich here from Impact Images and welcome to this episode of the podcast. I'm coming to you from my home base studio back in Australia, in Terrigal on the central coast just north of Sydney. I got off a massive trip home, a flight home last night. It's a crazy amount of traveling to get to and from Europe, but I can tell you I made the absolute most of the trip by staying for almost two months. It's, uh, it's so good to be home, although I've got to say it is absolutely freezing back here after leaving close to 40 degree temps in Europe. It's obviously also great to be back to see Linda. I haven't seen my two boys yet. My eldest, Matthew, is away skiing with my youngest brother and Jordan spent the night at his girlfriend's house and went straight to work this morning. So I'm hoping to catch up with the boys over the next couple of days. Well, Jordan this afternoon on the golf course, if I'm not falling asleep, for a little bit of chipping and putting to ease my way back into the game. I don't know how I'm already talking about hobbies, sports, pastimes (laughs) and holidays when my focus really should be on photography business with this podcast. So uh, we're going to get into that in just a second. Uh, You're going to love this interview, I'm sure, with Vincent Puglisi, who recently released the new book or his new book, The Wealth of Connection, A New Approach to Making Business Personal. That's coming up in just a second. If you haven't been catching up with the recent episodes, there are definitely some great ones that are worth checking out, including an interview where we focused on ADHD with Jason Marino. That one seems to be really hitting the mark with a lot of listeners coming back and commenting on the things that Jason shared in that one, particularly photographers who had thought that maybe they were suffering with ADHD and are now going on to learn that they actually do have ADHD or are going to see doctors about it. Last week was a premium members only interview. We revisited with Nick Buttigieg, who was going from strength to strength with his business. Uh, What an enlightening and motivating interview that was. Nick is operating a very successful business. He's turned over $250,000 in a tiny and remote town in northern Western Australia. He's getting ready to make a move with his family and business to country New South Wales. So lots of great stuff shared by Nick in that members only interview last week. Prior to that, Philip Warren talked all about his Christmas mini sessions. And I know that is early in the year to be talking about Christmas minis, but you do want to hear that one if you want to give yourself plenty of time to get set up for those minis the way Philip does them, which are very, very successful. In fact, his mini sessions pay for a full year's rental or lease payments for his studio, which is spectacular. By the way, it looks amazing. So those mini sessions that he conducts every year or puts together every year, pays for his studio (laughs) it's incredible and the week before that was andrew darlow where we talked all about backup strategies 
again, another enlightening one. I thought I had my backup strategies down pat, but learned some great things from Andrew. So a bunch of interviews and episodes to check out if you haven't heard those ones and lots more coming to you over the coming months as well. Now we're going to jump into this interview with Vincent. I'm going to share a little bit more about my holiday after because I know those stories about cycling, France, Spain, and the dramas I encountered (laughs) trying to get back to the airport on the last day may not interest everyone, but if you do want to hear a little bit more about that, stick around till after the interview with Vincent. You're listening to the number one photography business podcast with Andrew Helmich, photobizx.com. Oh, just one more thing. If you are hearing this announcement, it does mean you are listening to the free version of the podcast. Now, what that means is you won't hear the full interview today with Vincent. I am saving a large portion of the second half for premium members only. So if you are loving what Vincent shares in the first half, you'd like to hear the full interview and you'd also like to get access to the full back catalog, get an invite to the members Facebook group and see what that's all about. Basically, if you want to check out what you're missing out on every single week, You can do that for as little as $1 with a 30-day trial membership. There are more details about that over at photobizx.com forward slash try. Welcome to another great eye for business. It's time for Andrew's special guest. Today's guest was first interviewed for episode 255 of the podcast when he released his first book, Freelance to Freedom. Before his days as an author... Vincent was a professional photographer, primarily shooting sports for newspapers and magazines. And he and his wife, Elizabeth, they started a wedding photography business to get them out of their own low-paying newspaper jobs. And in less than four years, the wedding photography business helped pay off all their debt, including their family home. Since then, they've shut down their business, their wedding photography business, and their main focus is the total life freedom community. They homeschool their three boys, and believe that having control of your time, your money, and the work you do leads to the ultimate life freedom. Vincent has also authored a brand new book, The Wealth of Connection, a new approach to making business personal. Following his enlightening first interview, I am wrapped to have Vincent back, and I'm delighted to say that he's with us now. Vincent, welcome back, mate. It's gone, man. It's a pleasure to be here. (laughs) Do you miss the photography, or is that just like another part of your life? It's really a great question because I completely forget at times that that was our, almost our entire life professionally. I mean, it's what we did. It was everything. It was what we, we thought about. And maybe it's just the personality of it when you get into the next thing that I, it almost seems like a different life. I miss the relationships. I miss the events. I miss the, I miss the backstage and the front row type of stuff, like the access that nobody else could get. Like I'm, I'm just kind of a normal person again, where I can't just go to the arena or to the event and meet whoever and be part of their lives the same way I used to be in terms of the event photography. Because you were going to massive events, weren't you? Yeah. I mean, you name it. I was, I would do it. The president would come to town and, you know, I spent a day with the Dalai Lama in New York city. Like I remember getting the assignment for the Associated Press. Like, I hope you're ready for this one. I'm like, well, like tomorrow you're going to be with the Dalai Lama all day. I'm like, Really? So I remember crossing Fifth Avenue with him, just talking, having lunch, being in the rooms, hanging out like all day, like, you know, all the sports, all the political stuff, some celebrity stuff. And not even that's the stuff that gets the pub, but really just just interesting people throughout the country, just 
your regular people that do these unbelievable things that don't get the recognition they usually get and you get to be a part of their lives. Now, as I talk about it, yeah, I miss it in this way, but day to day, it really is the type of thing where once you build the next thing, that's where your energy has to go. Yeah, for sure. So just with the photography, and I, I don't want the PC and what you think the listener wants to hear, yeah. but do you miss the actual taking photos or are you still doing that yourself for the family or a camera is just another part of your life altogether? You know, it's going to make some photographers upset. I don't miss that part of it at all. And what I learned was I'm a storyteller. This is what I've learned in the last five years. And I remember when we were in school or we journalism school, there was a handful of people that always had their cameras with them, right? We were doing picture story. We were doing all the different classes. And I remember thinking, take a break. Like, stop. Like, you're taking pictures of us drinking beers at 10 o'clock at night. Like, just put the camera down and enjoy. Like, just let's just hang out. And what I realized is they are photographers. That is to the bone who they are. And I realized later on, I'm a storyteller, meaning whether I'm writing a book or I'm taking a picture or I'm doing a podcast or I'm, you know, on stage speaking, as long as I'm telling a story and that's a part of my life, I'm fulfilled. So photography was just, it was an avenue of storytelling for me. I didn't realize that till later because I really thought I would miss it. And I haven't, I'm like, we don't even use real cameras anymore. And it's kind of sad. So our family photography has really dropped in terms of the quality over the last couple of years, because we're not into it the way that we were, but yeah, it's, it's kind of a lame answer, but no, I, I don't miss that part very much at all. Yeah. And that's why I was interested to know, because I'm sure there are listeners uh, and look, I certainly went through this myself where photography was purely a job and I did it for business and that was it. And like you said, I know other people too, that are 100% creatives as far as photography is concerned, and that's their life. Yeah. Interestingly, you, and I like the term storyteller, I love that. Why didn't you say, or how do you feel about the term content creator instead of storyteller? Because it seems more of a recent catchphrase. I'm not a catchphrase type of guy. And as soon as something becomes just a popular word from everybody that's, that's being pitched that way, I'm like content creator, because that's a little more marketing, I think. And that's fine, but I really like a more holistic, just natural. I tell stories. It's what I do. The content creation comes from the stories. I'm not creating content and saying, oh, you need to be a storyteller because it sells. Like, I don't care if it sells or not. <laughs> if we sit down for a drink, we're telling stories, right? And what I realized is those stories is what led to all the stuff. The stories would lead to like, and you got to tell that on stage. I'm like, really? Like, that'd be a podcast. All of the stuff, the book, the podcast, the speaking came from being a storyteller first. So content creator for me, it just, it's not a term that I don't think I've ever even used it for myself. That's interesting. I want to talk more about the stories because it's funny, we're already sort of talking about stories and your stories because when I've been reading your book and I haven't finished it, I'm halfway through, it's the personal anecdotes, the personal stories that are the appealing part of the book to me. I'm always looking to get to the next one of those to solidify your message because they're the fun parts of the book. I want to ask you about those in a second, but how can you make a living with stories? Like, is that enough or do you need to have a message to go with the stories? Usually it's not enough. No. Stories, it's kind of like, who are you, right? How do you like to do your work? Are you analytical? It's almost like people, data, or things. I remember Kevin Lehman talking about this when you have kids, like just pay attention to it. Your kids will always usually gravitate to one of those things, people, data, or things. I'm people, right? That's who I am. I'm not data. 
go look at my computer. You'll realize I'm not data. That is not my expertise. And things, I don't care about things. And my wife doesn't care about things. So it's been a real blessing for us. Like stuff doesn't really matter to us. Like we want to live in a place that we love and we want time with our kids, but our car, we, we don't care. We can buy such a better car. Don't care. Right. But people, right. That's where I gravitate towards conversation, towards connection. So with that, it's natural to, you know, you, you get in conversation and, and I'm curious and I want to be curious of other people. I love people that are curious because it makes for great conversations. Curiosity from other people leads to, Hey, you know, I think story is just a natural form of communication that we all gravitate towards, right? You watch a speaker and if they give you the seven steps to whatever, like I'm kind of nodding out, right? By step three, because it just seems formulaic. But if you go with a story and you tell me how it happened and then you give me a lesson from it, I go, and that's been our whole thing. It's like without realizing it, we basically disguise a lesson inside of a story. So I do a daily podcast. And essentially people are like, oh, you should do a podcast about that. I'm like, oh, that's a great story, but what's the lesson? And then they'll say it about something else. I'm like, well, that's a great lesson, but what's the story? And when I know that I can put those two together, that's what I ruminate on for a while. And then I'll match those things up and then I'll record. No notes, just kind of tell a story and bake the lesson into it. By the end of it, you have, and you'll wait a second. He just kind of fooled me a little bit because I was into the story and now I got a takeaway. That's what I wanted to do with the book on a consistent basis where it's like entertain them, make them laugh, make them cry. But there's meaning behind it to where we understand why he told me that story. It's not just a waste of time. So yeah, you can make a living at it, but I think it's hard to make a living quote unquote as a storyteller. Mm -hmm. But when you can take your story and blend it into any of these other areas, including marketing including advertising, all those type of things, I think it's for me, one of the most fun ways to make a living. Absolutely. It sounds like it. It looks like it from the outside. Yeah. Just quickly, again, before we get into the book, you, know, you have a daily podcast and you, <laughs> you're recording without notes. What are you doing to keep track of the stories and the lessons? Is it two separate spreadsheets? Is it just thinking of things on the fly? Like You would be so annoyed by me if you saw my... It's literally just the notes on my phone and we'll be talking and you'll say something and I'll go, ooh, that's a podcast right there. Like the podcast yesterday, I did called it an engaged listener. It was from a conversation I had over lunch with a guy who I hadn't seen in 27 years. And he basically looked at me, he goes, you're a very engaging listener. So what do you mean? He goes, while I'm talking, like the way your eyes move and the way you lean in, like you make me feel like you care about what I'm saying. And it makes me want to, you know, tell the story better. I'm like, oh, and he appreciated it. So I literally just kind of, at the end of that conversation, wrote down, you know, engaging listener. And I wrote down his name. And I wrote down what the idea was, just a couple of words. And then I just take that and I riff on that for five to seven minutes with no notes. And I just kind of, I kind of just go off the cuff. I like it that way because it makes me do better when the bullets are flying. And I remember when I was at Newsday, I was a photographer there and Dick Yarwood was the seasoned veteran. He had done everything. He told the most incredible stories from like the fifties and sixties in New York city. I was so envious. And he said one time, he goes, what I'm going to miss the most when I retire is what it's like when the bullets are flying, when you don't know what's happening and things are coming at you and you got to figure it out. And I remember saying, I want that job. That's when I was an intern. <laughs> I've been able to kind of transfer that after 20 something years as a photographer to the podcast world where I start recording and I better come up with something and here we go and let's see what happens. And that's really what it is. That is so good. Tell me about the book. Like, How was the idea born? And when did you think, okay, this has got legs, like this could be something? 
That's a good question. Cause I think people think, Oh, you just have an idea and you write a book. This was painful. This was re- <laughs> like, I wrote freelance to freedom. And when I was done with it, I was like, never again, really never. I'm glad I did it. I can say that I published a book and it was had a publisher and the whole thing and it did well, but never again. Like that's just because the first book, there was a lot of personal stories that I got depressed while I was writing it because if you get that personal, you really rehash a lot of your, your past and your history. And I was having some issues with my family, you know, and, and a lot of that came out and was, you know, was figured out even in the writing of the book, but it was very emotionally draining. And Elizabeth, she knows when I'm writing and she knows my mood. Cause I'll be just thinking and for me, it's tough. And when it was over, I was like, I'm so glad I did it. And I'm so glad it's over, but you know, and I don't want to insult anybody and pretend like I know, but I joke, like, it's like my wife, when we had our kids, she would say, and she went through a lot more pain than I did, but she would say never again after the kids were <laughs> like never again. And then two years later, you forget about the pain and you recover and then you see another little baby and then you go, well, maybe another one. Cause you forget. Right. And that was the same feeling in terms of writing for me where I was like, well, the pain's gone. I had this idea because if I'm going to write one more book, what would it be about? And I'm like, oh, it could be a business book. It could be this. But the wealth of connection really was something like this has to be the book that I would write. This is the thing that I could talk about at any time with anybody. The topics in this book, it's who I am. The problem for me was I was stuck for about a year and a half because I didn't have a title. And I went through about four or five different titles at that point. Oh, it's going to be this. It's going to be that. None of it ever stuck. So while I kept writing, I felt confused the entire time because I was like, I'm not sure what the book is, even though I like the lessons and I like the stories, right? And so I had a keynote speech I was giving in Georgia and I was driving to it from Florida. And I said to myself when I got in the car, when you get home, you're going to have to do two things do a great keynote speech and come back with a stinking title for this book. That was my only thing. So I drove and literally, you know, four hours into the drive of silence, radio off, no podcast, just thinking those four words just bounced into my head, like connection, wealth, you know, wealth, real wealth, like, like financial wealth comes from connection, but connection is our greatest wealth. Everybody that I've talked to that has been crazy successful will tell you it's the relationships in your lives that matter. And often we discount that for more financial success or more status, but it's the friendships, it's the relationships. And I dive deep into that, especially in the beginning of the book with our auto mechanic that died and is his story. And so that's when the wealth of connection, I thought it was a good play on words. And literally, Andrew, as soon as I got that title, the writing of the book and the editing of the book was smooth because I knew exactly where it was going. And that's what really helped me finish it off. So good. So like in your head, who were you writing the book for? Is it for people in business, people that want to get into business? Is it just for anyone to enhance their relationships with their family and friends? Yeah, it's a good question because you really want to have an avatar niche of who you're writing for, right? As I'm writing it, I knew the general niche was business, right? It was a business type of book, but I knew there's going to be people saying, you know what, this is a life book. Like, even though you don't have a business or you have your career, like, this is going to help you. that was, these, that was a sub-market that I knew it was going to hit, and I'm already seeing that. But honestly, the quiet answer is it's for the selfish entrepreneur, is who I was writing for. Trying to change them, their way of looking or doing business. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to be so presumptuous to say, like, I'm going to go change you. But at the same time, it's like, it's not just the selfish entrepreneur, it's the selfish entrepreneur that's struggling, and they don't know why they're struggling. 
It's the photographer that's pimping their stuff and is not getting people to bite. But they're doing what everybody tells them to do. Get the camera, get the presets, do all the things, market yourself, be on social media. The truth is nobody cares. Nobody cares because they're all so worried about their own life. And they're worried about their money and they're worried about their job. And they're not really interested in helping you. And they're not interested in all your stuff that you're posting about. And they'll support it a little bit. But when you put it out there, what I found over and over again was authors and podcasters. They would write a book, for instance, and they would write it for two years. And they would make this big deal out of it. And nobody cared. They'd put it out there and they'd get four reviews after two weeks. And then they thought all these people said they were going to help them out and they didn't. And then a month later, the project was dead. And there's all these books on Amazon that are just dead. And so what I realized was what a shame it is that we put so much work into something, but we do it backwards. We do it creation first, meaning I'm going to create this thing and people are going to like it. And what happens is you create this thing. And a lot of people might relate to this. Maybe it's the business. Maybe it's the photography business. Create this thing. And then, oh, you know, nobody, nobody's, I'm not getting bites. Oh, I better, I better collaborate with people. I better collaborate with other photographers, podcasts. I better get on Andrew's show, right? And then they go, Andrew, I want to get on your podcast. And you go, I don't even know who you are. I've never had any connection with you. We have no relationship. Sorry, I've got 50 people that reach out to me a week. And you're not going to say this to them, but in your head, you're like, no, you're not coming on the show. I don't know you. <laughs> so there's like, well, you better connect with Andrew. Well, then they connect with you, but it's like, hey, Andrew, what can you do for me? but they won't even say it that way. It's just this pattern that I saw over and over again. And then it came backwards. It was like, I learned that it's a lack of curiosity. It's a lack of asking good questions. It's a lack of being interested in other people. And it's a lack of character, meaning it's all about what they want. It's all about their own selfish goals, which we all have. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is we essentially put our selfish goals above our generous goals. And Zig Ziglar has a great line, which you can get anything in life you want. If you just help enough other people get what they want. So that was a big part of this idea of like, what are your generous goals? Like your podcast, if you can help all the people you're helping with the content that you create and how, how valuable you put stuff out there and how much you take care of it, that's a generous goal of what you're doing, right? You're not sitting here counting dollars as you're, we're having a great conversation because you care. But if you do that work and you are interested in other people, all the things that you want will take care of themselves right? So it really went from that, your character, then your curiosity. When you have character and curiosity, that's your foundation. I will connect with anyone that's got great character and great curiosity. Now we have good connection. The fun part's next. Once you have these connections, the collaboration going backwards is natural, right? You and I connect. Hey, you want to come on the show? I don't have to pitch. We develop a relationship, a friendship. It happens all over the place. I'm able to now create something And instead of bugging the crap out of everybody to buy it, I get to collaborate with all these people who I have connections with, and it gets easier and easier. And everything that you put out from there forth gets easier because you have more and more connections and collaborations. So once that all went through my head and that framework, I knew what I had with the book. I want to tie this back to photographers in just a second, but just taking what you just said now, like, so you're on the PhotoBizX podcast with me. We're collaborating, if you like. Mm -hmm. I've welcomed you onto the show. I'm excited to have you back, especially after our last interview. I'm reading your book. I love your book. When you go into a collaboration, are you thinking, man, I've, I've got to think of something to repay Andrew with now. I've got to see how I can help him. Like, is that running through the back of your mind as well? Or do these things just take care of themselves naturally? I think for the most part, they take care of themselves naturally. If you do it right, collaboration should be a win-win. 
mm-hmm. meaning I'm not really taking from you. I'm not trying to take advantage of you. I'm really excited to do the best possible conversation interview with you so that you have people saying Andrew's podcast is great this week. That's my goal, right? For you. So I'm not mailing this in at all. I'm excited and nervous right now because this is important. We're on stage, right? For you. So yeah, I mean, there's that, but there's also, hey, once I know somebody and I trust them, I want to connect them to other people that I know and trust. Not to people that I don't know and trust, but people that I go, man, I heard your story. You guys need to know each other. I love doing that and I want to do more of that. So yeah, there's always the whole, well, when you're in my network and we trust each other and there's been this collaboration, it's a small club. We all have small, real tight networks and you want to do your best by them. So I think it's an ongoing generous thing that you want to do, spread the word about people without even them knowing it. The more generous your goals can be with your work and with your relationships, the better their life is going to be. And then if I bring you together with somebody else, that's a great guest and you guys lift up from that. It makes me better because you guys do better and you're in my network. So it means we'll all get better. 100%. And that's the way that I view it. I love that. Okay. So knowing what you know now, and after having written this book and lived this life, what would you do differently if you were starting your, or you're into your wedding photography business? Oh, I was a jerk in so many ways back then. <laughs> get out. I'm serious. No way. The photography world, I found it the least fun collaboratively because we were all competing with each other. We can go to a party and we can pretend, but when you get that gig and I don't, you just took food out of my kid's mouth <laughs> and I'm frustrated while you just beat me. Right. And I'm being just honest when I was in that world, like it was very competitive. And then you have new people coming in and they're charging less money and the whole you're ruining the industry and the industry is going to be just fine. Just keep going. But we all had those worries and I wasn't my best collaboratively in that environment. In this environment, I get to create my own world and I don't really feel like I have competition in anything that I'm doing because it's all these individual niches and it's not local based Mm -hmm. because I could get a client from Sri Lanka. It doesn't matter right? But there, when you're locally based, there are people that do it way better than I did. I was not, I was not the best at it. I was not the most generous, the most helpful. I was, you know, I'm a New York Italian. I have a lot of things to work out when it comes to that type of stuff. So yeah, there's a lot of things I could have done a lot better during that time for sure. So you know, when you say the word collaboration and in reference or regards to wedding photography and your time as a photographer, are you talking about collaborating with your fellow photographers or is it other people you know serving the same clients as you is it other vendors it's all around i'll give you i don't know if i told the story last time but when we moved from indiana to pittsburgh i kind of learned this and i was kind of getting it but i was still in that selfish mode right and so what we did was we're like okay we knew we were going to move a year from now and wow so we better start you know working on the seo and we better start getting some things going. So people find out who we are writing blog posts about it, calling some of the venues and doing interviews with them. So we get some stuff going that way. Well, what happened was we did pretty good with it. We wound up on the first page of Google in Pittsburgh before we even lived in Pittsburgh. Wow. And yeah. So we started getting these inquiries and I'm like, it's six months out. I'm not driving back. I'm not driving eight or 10 hours there for a wedding. Now we have this stuff here. So what I did was I looked up a bunch of photographers who had a similar style or similar approach, right, that we did. And I started saying, well, what a better way to start than being generous with these inquiries. And man, how much would I have loved this? Hey, you want a $5,000 wedding? I can't do it. Absolutely. I like this guy. He's giving me money. So we started doing with people that we collab- that we really networked with well. We started throwing work towards them. 
Well, literally the day that I got the day we moved to Pittsburgh, I had an interview that afternoon with somebody that one of those photographers referred to me because they knew our style was more journalistic and theirs was much more posy. And they said, you got to go to them. It was the highest paid client that we had to date. And it came from a referral from somebody that we had given work to six months earlier that paid us back that way. And literally the day we walk into a new town, we had our biggest booking and we're like, wait a second this is kind of a cool thing. So we did a lot of that. And so there's collaboration with that, but there's collaboration with the venues, right? Can we create content around you so that our blog and our website can give you a lot of juice and give you new clients? And by doing that, you know, we wound up on the referral list all the time for all these venues and got more work that way. It was a really cool cycle. When I made fun of myself about it, it was my own mentality of it. I was still very competitive selfishly during that time. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, you have to have some of that competitive juice about you. Otherwise, you're going to get, uh, you're going to get run over. You're going to fall by the wayside. You know, when you talk about collaborating with venues or other vendors, I think, I mean, I certainly did that. I know other photographers do that. By reading your book, I get a sense that it's, there has to be more to it than just let me come in and take some photos. I've got to really want to do it for them, don't I? Even though it is serving me, I've got to put that aside. Is that the message? It really is because what I find is, and this was such a hard lesson for me to learn because it sounds so, oh, you know, altruistic or whatever, but like the more that I'm caring about the people that I'm around and the more I'm thinking about them and bringing them together, just the more goodwill came back to me, right? Nobody really wants to promote somebody that just has all selfish goals. If you come to me and like, I'm going to get a yacht. I want the big house. Here's my goals. Like, that's cool. But when you meet the people, and there's very few of those people. In the where we live right now in Tampa, there's a guy named Chris Kremitzos. He runs a podcast conference called PodFest. And, but he has a weekly meetup. I'm, I'm sorry, a monthly meetup here for podcasters. And his number one instinct all the time is, how do I bring people together? How do I promote them? It's just internally within him. And because of that, he is so loved. And he doesn't try to beat anybody. And I watch him and I watch people like him, which is rare. And I go, that's who I want to be when I grow up. And that is not what I did back then. And I look at what Chris is doing and how he's building everything around him. I think more people, if they took on that perspective and not worrying so much about losing or winning, but like, how do I just help these people around me? You're going to get everything you want. Like his podcast, the conference that's PodFest is going to, it's more attendees than ever. People are clamoring to go. Everything he's doing is, is taking off. And I think it's because people just like the guy because he's so helpful. I know it sounds so simple, but watch those people because they're the ones that open doors for everybody. And then the doors get opened up for them. Right. So for the photographer who's listening, whether they you know photograph headshots, portraits, families, babies, or weddings... Should they be trying to help other people in their industry, you know, whether it's clients or other vendors, build their businesses? Or are you talking about any kind of connection? Like, um, I don't know, if you want to recommend a hairdresser or a nail artist, like, is it recommending anything to anyone to help them? It can sound overwhelming if you say it that way, but it truly is becoming that. Like, I wrote about a guy named Mark Fujiwara. He's in the finance world in Silicon Valley. And his whole job is being the one that can connect other people together. Like everything he's doing is how do I make my client's dreams come true? That's his perspective. How do I make my, so when you go, I need a photographer in San Francisco for headshots, Gustavo Fernandez, that's the guy. Boom. I need this person. I got a guy here. So his mindset is not, oh, you know, I got to get my stuff. His mindset really is, 
I have a spider web of connections and they all tie together. And the more that I could put people in these different places and have the right people, I'm always bringing people together. He's loved and beloved and gets lifted up because of it. And nobody could explain the success of those people because it doesn't go by any formula. It comes from all around what comes back to them. So it's a hard concept to really understand because it's never taught. But when you study these people and you see why they're so successful, yeah, that's what they're thinking. How can, how can I go out of my way and recommend that hairdresser? Because then they go, what made you come to me? Well, Andrew recommended me. Oh, really? He's a photographer. You know what? I've been looking for a photographer. That's exactly what happened. Should I call him? Oh, Andrew's the best. And then all of a sudden you get a client. You go, how'd that happen? Because I brought them together. That's the world that I want to open up to people because it's really there. Right. So where do you start with that? Is it just thinking about the other person a little bit more than yourself? Like, is there a, a method or a formula to get better at this? Well, what I do, and it's really nice to watching people adopt it. I do a thing called the hour of giving. Hour of giving. Yes. So every day I will block off an hour. And if you only have 10 minutes, do 10 minutes, but I'll block off an hour and I'll literally think, what are the podcasts that I listen to that I want to leave a review for? What are the, what are the ones that I want to recommend to other people? Because if I listen to this, because if somebody listens to this show, right, they're listening right now and they go, well, that was fun. Let me go for my run. Or, well, that was fun. My friend Dave needs to hear this, right? So they immediately go, hey, Dave, listen to the show. If you got an hour, listen. It was great. It's exactly what we were just talking about last week. By doing that, you are now doing, you've now started, right? So if you take an hour, you leave reviews, you share work, you just reach out to people. Like what I do is if I do a social media post and I've got comments and there's people I haven't heard from in a while, I'll send them a private message and start up a conversation. Andrew, the amount of work that has come to us just by that without trying is ridiculous. I'll give you a perfect example. And it goes to the photography world. Um, Giant Eagles is a grocery store in Pittsburgh where we worked and they hired us to do all their corporate events. It was good money. And then Jennifer, who hired us, left. She quit to go work for a local university. I think most people would think, cross her off the list. There's no more money coming in from her, right? What am I? She works at this university. They're never hiring me in her department. But I didn't do that. I'm like, okay, she's part of who I am. She's part of my network. I reached out about four months later. I said, how's the job going? No expectations, of course, because there's nothing I can get. And she goes, I hate it. I hate the job. I'm like, oh, no. And she said, but it's actually good because I'm quitting and I've always wanted to start my own business in writing. And it's ironic that you just messaged me because I need a website and I need a photographer. Wow. I need to get headshots done. <laughs> I need to get, you know, lifestyle type of photographs. And can I hire you for that? Unbelievable. Just like that. Who else is she hiring? A couple thousand dollars. Boom. I couldn't have marketed for that. And then the next day I did the same thing. And then a the guy was like, Hey, are you still speaking? Cause I need a speaker at my university. Got a speaking gig from it. And if you're doing it for the wrong reasons, you can take advantage of people. I don't do it for the wrong. I don't reach out to them to get stuff. But when you expand your network and you're generous and you're helpful and you're curious, now these spider webs, these things start connecting and you become that person. There's so many more examples of that. But as you start seeing that, and, and the other thing is it's really fun to do. It's really fun. So absolutely, especially with the results like that. But again, back to, I don't want to make it too strategic, but if it isn't, <laughs> if, if, if it isn't, but you know, when you contacted that woman who had moved to the university four months afterwards, after she'd left, was that a note in your diary to get in contact with her or did her name pop up in social media? Like what made you make that connection four months later? Premium members of PhotoBiz Exposed hear more of the best photography business strategies from every guest. 
Vincent, where's the best place to go and find your book? Is it Amazon or are there other better places? Yeah, Amazon's the best place to buy it. And if you want to check out anything we do, it's totallifefreedom.com is the website. We have the book on there as well. The podcast, which is the Total Life Freedom podcast is on there as well. But yeah, the book, Amazon's the best and easiest way. Okay, and is the first book still available too? It's in print? Yeah, yeah. Freelance to Freedom is on Amazon and The Wealth of Connections. So two books, they're both out there if anybody wants. Unreal. So I'm going to link to those. I'll link to your podcast and uh, where people can find you online. The book is amazing. Like, I really, honestly, I, when you sent it to me, I thought, okay, where am I going to fit this in? I knew we had this interview coming up. I started reading it. And I was like, wow, I'm into it. So uh, I'm looking forward to finishing it. But tell me, are there more personal stories coming? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. The whole point is like, I don't understand. I would never have a, a ghostwriter. And I get people that do it. They say 70% of books are written by ghostwriters. And I'm like, there's no way from like this, even the audiobook. Like I, I record the audiobook. It's the most painful thing I'll ever do. <laughs> I've done it twice now and and it's brutal. But there's no way somebody else is gonna read the funzy story. Sorry, I'm not paying somebody to do that. I'm reading those stories because it's me and it's it's my life and it's the experiences. So yeah, I mean, there's gotta be some pain that goes into it. But yeah, I think if you like the first part, I really think you'll like like the rest. Unreal. Vincent, it's always a pleasure, mate. Thank you for staying in touch, for doing what you do. You're amazing. You're an inspiration. And a massive thanks for coming on and sharing what you have today. As are you. I appreciate you, man. And let's keep in touch. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Vincent as much as I did. Vincent, if you are listening again, thank you so much for coming on, for sharing everything you have. And I do hope and I'm sure that your new book will rocket into the best sellers list. Again, mate, thank you so much. For you, the listener, I do hope you got a ton from what Vincent had to share. I've got links to anything and everything he mentioned, including where you can find his book in the show notes for today's episode. They are at photobizx.com forward slash 474. There's also a comments area there if you want to leave a comment or have a question for Vincent. But if you are a premium member, Vincent is in the members Facebook group. So if you do have a specific question, maybe a question I didn't ask him that you wish that I did, maybe you just want to say thanks for coming on and sharing what you have, whatever it may be, you can hit him up inside the members Facebook group. I'll make sure he sees your comments and questions there. That's going to wrap up the business side of the podcast for today's episode. I need some time to settle back in, get my sleep patterns back in order and get back on track with everything that's coming up for you in the coming months. One of the big ones is a new Facebook ads course, which will be presented by John Glazer. I'll have more details about that next week. If you're unfamiliar with John, he's been interviewed for previous episodes of the podcast. He is running a phenomenally successful business, is opening a second or has opened a second studio in New York City. And all of his leads, I think it's 90 or I want to say 99%, but it's, it's a huge number of his leads are coming from Facebook ads using a specific strategy, one that started with his first business coach, Bernie Griffith, and now he has actually reworked those ads and found a system that's even more successful for him. So again, more details coming up about that and other things in the coming weeks. And just to finish off, and in regards to a comment I made about getting to the airport on the last day in France and the nightmare that that was, we had a truck basically a a large van, the biggest sized van you can get with a normal driver's license. So I was driving the van. I had a couple of buddies in the van with me, Vish and Adam. And inside the van, we had 24 bicycles from all the riders that accompanied us on the trip. I had all their luggage. 
We had all their luggage and we were heading from the Pyrenees, our last stop in France, down to Barcelona Airport. It was about a six-hour drive. The truck and all the cars had to be returned that day and because the truck is just a slow, big thing, we're usually the last to leave and definitely the last to arrive, usually an hour or two after everyone else in the cars. So we headed off from our little town in Argelès Gazost in the Pyrenees. And if you aren't familiar with diesel trucks, well, diesel trucks in Europe anyway, they need a fuel additive called AdBlue for the truck to work effectively. We had this AdBlue put into the truck when I picked it up from the rental company. There was over 50% inside the truck. So everything was looking good. We set off from Argelès. And the truck just wasn't running correctly. Had a look at the digital readout and it said the ad blue was down to 2%. Oh, okay, that's no good. We had to get that filled up. And apparently this product is available from every service station. It happened to be Sunday afternoon. The first two petrol stations that we passed were both unmanned petrol stations, which are quite common in Europe. We don't really see them here in Australia. So I was unable to get this ad blue. So we head off in search of the next big petrol station to see if we can get this product and in that time the ad blue drops down to a level of one percent and now the vehicle the truck won't go over 50 kilometers an hour it's speed restricted we're thinking oh this is not good so we limp our way to the next service station it's unmanned but alongside the service station is a huge supermarket we go in there to get the ad blue <laughs> guess what's out of stock Ad blue, just empty shelves. We went and saw someone there at the supermarket and they said, a delivery wasn't made, it's running late, we don't have any. So, uh-oh. So now we were really in strife. <laughs> we hide the car from Spain, we're in France, we've got no ad blue and no way to get it from where we are. We can't drive anymore. So we call up a couple of friends, they turn around, they're a good 30 minutes up the road, they pick up some ad blue from a different service station or supermarket and come back to us. So... We think, okay, we're out of the woods here. We're only a couple of hours behind schedule, but we're going to make it to our hotel and make our flight the next day. We put the ad blue in, head off, confident, and the truck still won't go over 50 k's an hour. And we learn this as we head on to the freeway, which is a, has a 130 kilometer an hour speed limit. It's actually scary being on the freeway, being stuck at 50 k's an hour. So we swing in with my buddies following in their car, and try and diagnose the issue. We start looking through the manual, which is only in Spanish. We're Googling things. We turn the ignition off and on, pump the gas pedal. These are all things that we're told will will reset the system. We try these things, start the truck, and head off down the freeway. Again, still restricted to 50 k's an hour. Now we're thinking, oh, this is, this is not good. So we pull into another bay, and there's a few of us there that are going to work. Vish is an IT guru. He's using Google Translate and the manual, trying to work out how we can get out of this. I'm on the phone to the high company in Spain. I finally get through to them. I tell them where we are, and they, the guy on the other end of the phone says, what, you're in France? <laughs> I said, yeah, we told you we were taking the car to France told him that we're on the freeway and he said, well, you've got to call 112 emergency services and get the car towed, the truck towed, because we can't do anything while you're on the freeway. Thinking, oh, this is going to be just hopeless for us trying to make these flights. Anyway, Vish, 
with his searching through Google and utilizing the manual, finds there's a, a magic switch to reset everything inside the battery terminal area. So we go in there, pop the bonnet, <laughs> you know things are getting serious now, and we find there's no switch. Uh-oh. Back to Google and the manual, and we find out there's some fuses that we could potentially remove and replace to reset things. We get into the fuse box, and it says to remove fuses 125, 126, and 128. But inside the fuse box, nothing's labeled. It's like, oh, man. So back to Google and the manual, and Vif finds out which ones we have to remove. We actually locate them, take the fuse out, put them back in, two different fuses, jump back in the truck, and bingo. We're good to go. <laughs> it actually works. We can't believe it. We hit 110, 120 k's an hour in the truck. We're about four hours behind everyone else at this stage. But the good news is we we made it. One of our one of our group had to go straight to the airport. He was flying out that evening. That's Ben from the UK, who happens to be the husband of a listener, Sarah Brown, to the podcast. That's how he found out about the trip. We had to get straight to the airport, meet him there. It was cutting it super fine. He made his flight. We made it back to the hotel. And the rest is history. I'm back here in Australia. But what an absolute nightmare of a last day. What a way to finish an amazing trip. I can tell you I'm super glad that we did make it. It was um, it was touch and go there for a while. Anyway, that's that story of how we got back to the airport. There are so many other things I want to and can share with you. It'll probably come out over the next 12 months. But I can say we had an absolutely fantastic time away in both Spain and France. Alrighty, that's enough rambling for me. I hope you have a fantastic week ahead. I'll be back next week with another interview on Monday, the normal scheduled day. Could be your Sunday, depending on where in the world you are. Until then, stay safe, healthy and well, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now. If you have enjoyed this episode, head to photobizx.com. Join the conversation, leave a comment, and share your thoughts on the interview with Andrew and today's special guest. 